Good morning, City Hill. Great to see you all. You know, in our prayer times, we uh, often pray that even people who, as you're walking through the door, will experience God here at church. We realize the church is the body of Christ, it's not the building, but we want the real deal here at City Hill and people to experience God. And just one of the things just this morning, I know back in the corner, a young man opened his heart to the Lord this morning. And I'm excited about that. I pray that will be a common occurrence here at church. As people come in, they just want to know and begin their life with Jesus Christ if they haven't done so already. Amen? Praise the Lord. Have you ever been treated unjustly? Something happens to you and that sense of injustice rises powerfully within you. Somebody tried to cheat you or take advantage or something happened that it made your blood boil. Anybody? Well, I have. Uh, many of you know that we were missionaries in the Dominican Republic for 25 years. And as a white man in a world full of people of all colors of skin, there was like this sign, this invisible sign hung around us that said, you pay more. We affectionately called that our skin tax. You're white, it costs you double. And we began to, we joke about it, but sometimes those things went down. I uh, remember very clearly, I'd been in the DR for a year, the missionary. I'd been cheated, I'd been lied to, I'd been deceived, I'd been frustrated by the processes to the very people that I was called to serve and love and care and show Jesus to. My parents came to visit us one day. We were driving back from the East Coast and my Jeep needed gas. We were really empty. So I sent my family to the pizza place next door to the gas station and I wanted to get the tank full of gas. Um, but the con game at the gas station was that they would not hang up the nozzle between fillings and they would start the tank at the amount that the other guy had paid and then you would pay for your tank plus double for the tank before you, hoping that as the white man you wouldn't notice. But I was trying to get smart. I was tired of being ripped off. So I got there, and before I knew it, that nozzle was in the tank. There was somebody standing in front of the meter. I jump out, and I mean, within 10 seconds, I'm at $22, right? And I'm thinking, oh, no, not this time. And so they filled the tank up. They put 23 gallons of gas in my 13-gallon tank. I'm pretty good at math. I calculated it out. And I handed the man the money for my 13 gallons, although the amount was very different. At this point, he, came, he became very angry at me. I said, that's all the money you get? Because that's all the gas you put in my tank. And he said, I'm calling the police. And at that point, all my frustration, all my cultural shock, all my challenge of speaking poorly Spanish, of trying to figure out this country, it all came to the surface right there to this gas station attendant. 
and I came unglued. I circled around my car and I began to unload a year's worth of anger on this gasoline attendant. He said, I'm calling the police. I said, no, I'm calling the police because you are a thief and you, and I'm yelling at this guy. Now, the idea of a big white man who towers above the Dominicans screaming at this was too much for people to ignore. So people came running to find out what in the world was going on. This was the show of the afternoon. And I gave it in full, full, I just let it go. I just, I mean, I was standing there and I told him what a thief he was and all, their whole country's full of, and I was just unglued. The people came, the manager came, I was gonna call the police and finally he said, just go, just go. Cause he knew, I mean, he was part of the scam of course. He knew that I wasn't going to pay and that this was getting bad. So I got in my Jeep and I circled over to the parking spot where my family was eating pizza. I won. Because I didn't pay. And as I drove over to that pizza place, I could hear the Lord. I was looking for a little bit of mercy from God. Like, boy, that time you finally got smart, right? Well, I didn't get that at all. I didn't get any of that from God. God was merciless to me at that moment. And as I drove over there raging, the Lord said, oh, that was really good. Boy, that was impressive. You, you really showed that guy, didn't you? And then he added on some sarcasm to me like, did you forget to leave him a track? <laughs> Tell him about Jesus. And it went on. He said to me, you know, how much money are we talking about? 20 bucks? You can't trust me for $20? I was like, all right, I give. I realize, and the Lord said, if you don't change your attitude, if you don't get rid of your anger for the abuse you've suffered, you will never make it in this country. You'll grow bitter, you'll grow angry, and you will leave, and you will miss the purposes of God. You'll miss my purposes for you because of your stupidity and because of your anger that's how God deals with me sometimes and praise the Lord God met me and I repented there's freedom and repentance amen but may I say that injustice stirs something deep inside of us I hate it you hate it and God hates it so let's open our Bibles to the book of Micah this morning. Book of Micah, it's found towards the end of the Old Testament, just after Jonah, right before Nahum. Open your tablets, your phones, your scrolls, whatever you got. Let's look at the book of Micah. He was a prophet in Israel around the year 700 B.C. He was a contemporary of Isaiah. But the thing about Micah is he had a profound compassion, a deep sensitivity to the social ills that were going on in Israel. And Micah preached that God hates injustice and empty religious rituals. I want to say that again. God hates injustice and empty religious rituals. But God cherishes when our faith and love for God 
is expressed by caring for those who are oppressed, for those who are in need. God cherishes that. And where Micah lived in the southern kingdom of Israel, the land of Judah, the Jewish people, instead of wrestling with how to care for those in need, their wrestling was with trying to do religion right, how to get all the details just right to ensure God's forgiveness. One of the questions that they seem to be asking is, how should the bull be sacrificed? Should it be a one-year-old bull? Should it be a year and a half? What kind of animal would best earn the forgiveness of God? Or maybe that's enough. Maybe they thought, maybe I should sacrifice my firstborn child. Maybe that would be enough to earn God's forgiveness. And those were their areas of concern. And while they debated and wrestled with these finer theological points of sacrifice, their neighbors were suffering. All around them, people were hungry. The rich were oppressing the poor. Unjust judges that penalized innocent people. And their society was filled with injustice and the religious people seemed indifferent to their pain. Micah 6.8. Speaking into that situation, Micah 6, verse 8. I read from the NIV, He has shown you, O mortal, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? So they're thinking, what kind of animal should I sacrifice? What does the Lord require of you? And here it is to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Let's say that together. To act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. One more time. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Act justly, love mercy, Walk humbly. Tell somebody beside you. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. See, it's very clear. God loves and cares for the poor and oppressed of this world. They, he is not indifferent to their suffering. And his plan, the passion of God, sometimes we look and we say, why doesn't God do something? And his plan and his passion is us. That's it. God has a plan, and his plan is to use us to be a part of the answer. We can't just look at other people, and especially with this world being so small and the ability to travel around the world, God gives us not just the responsibility, but the privilege of being a part of the extension of his love and mercy. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. It's a day we commemorate the birthday of American civil rights leader, Reverend Mar Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. It's a day to celebrate his life, to mourn his death, and to celebrate the achievements and the values and the principles that he stood for. And you know, although King never held public office, he was 
super influential in the civil rights movement here in America. He was a major advocate of nonviolent activism in the struggle to end racial discrimination. I looked over his speech. One of his speeches, one of my favorites, was the I Have a Dream speech that he preached back in August of 1963, five years before he was assassinated. And as I read the speech over this week, I was struck with the beauty and the wisdom of many of the statements. It's a longer speech, but I want to pick out a few of them for you this morning. He says, I have a dream that one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and little black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. It's a beautiful image. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. It's a beautiful dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Say that with me. All men are created equal. Let me just clarify that very clearly. All men, all women are created equal. And where did King get that statement? Well, he got it from the Declaration of Independence written by Thomas Jefferson in 1776, which says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's where Martin Luther King got it. Where did Thomas Jefferson get this? From the word of God. He got it right out of Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created he them. And also Romans 2.11. For there is no respect of persons with God. And Martin Luther King pronounced that in a way that captured the heart of our nation. And, you know, no matter what the color of your skin, no matter what kind of hair you have, no matter what your gender or your national background, no matter how tall or short, God has created each and every one of us in his image. I thought, you know, if we just captured that, the new today, that everybody is in the image of God, we treat them different. We'd understand that when you treat someone with respect, you're honoring the image of God in their lives. And God is the God of all nations. He is not American. He is not Dominican. He's not Chinese. He's, he's not black. He's not white. God is the God of all the nations of the world. Of all peoples. Martin Luther King, when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, every state, every city, we will be able to speed up the day when all of God's children, all of them, black men, white men, Jews, Gentiles, Protestants, Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty we're free at last. And on this day when we remember Martin Luther King and the ideals for which he lived and then died, 
Could we not make a heart decision? So I was praying about this. I felt that God wanted us to make a heart decision this morning. To be among those Christians who are colorblind. Or maybe better yet, to be among those Christians who are bridge builders. Those who are actively engaged in making a difference in this world. Building bridges of love, of care, of compassion, of friendship. Our church here in Eden Prairie can change the world. Be those who would open our hearts, our homes, to intentionally build bridges. It's not, just, it's not enough to simply say, well, I'm fine. I don't carry any prejudice. That's good. And I believe that. But I think God wants us to be intentional in building bridges. And this is a challenge to everybody because that statement, birds of a feather flock together, is actually quite true. People tend to huddle with people who are like them in every nation of the world. And so it takes something outside of the natural for us to extend a hand of love and care and mercy to people who are different from us, whatever your color, whatever your national background may be. And you know, here's the deal. Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. So what's heaven going to look like? It's going to be multinational. We're going to be singing with the Indians and the Chinese and the Africans and the South Americans. We're all going to be together before God. And so when he says, I kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, the more that we can form friendships and love and bridge those gaps outside of our own little worlds, the more that we bring the kingdom of God here on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we recognize Martin Luther King Day tomorrow, we've got to celebrate the amazing progress that has taken place. We sometimes wonder if progress has taken place. There's been a lot. We've seen desegregation in our schools and neighborhoods. Just yesterday, I, I went online to look at Hopkins High School. I went to Hopkins High School. Someone once asked me, was there any racial tension in your high school? I said, with who? The Swedes and the Norwegians, maybe. Um, in my high school, 1,200 kids, 1976, we had one black and one girl from Spain. That was our interracial mix. Today, Hopkins High School is 58% white, 21% black, 9% Hispanic, and 7% Asian. I go, wow. That's a, that's a transformation in 40 years. We've seen growth of, of a lot of growth of employment among minorities and cultural acceptance of biracial families. I love it. One of our leaders in YWAM says, I don't know why it is, but the most beautiful children in the world come from biracial marriages. That's, of course, a little opinion. But God loves all his children. And those are steps of progress, but the progress, but we've not got there yet, folks. There's still work to do. The job is not done. And if I wanted one phrase of today that I felt God put on my heart, it would be do justice. 
Say that with me. Do justice. That's what Micah 6.8 says. Do justice. It's not just be just or accept justice or be in favor of justice, but do justice. Do something to help build bridges. Do something to help befriend those who are different from you. Reject passivity. Be active in building those bridges. Unless you feel that I'm criticizing or beating you up this morning, may I say that I see a number of people in our church who are doing exactly that. And a lot more than I will name this morning. But I wanted to give some shout outs. And I don't want you to applaud, but I just want to point out a few people to encourage us to continue in these ways. Um, Natalie, where are you at today? Natalie, stand on up for a minute. Natalie Johnson Lee, she works with families in North Minneapolis as a community leader, helping give people, helping people find jobs and find hope for their life. Dr. Osra Weber, where are you? Osra, stand on up. Osra's worked for a number of years in a medical clinic that services the low income in North Minneapolis. Praise the Lord. Linda Lang, where are you? Linda here today? Linda. You know, Linda befriended an immigrant from Nigeria, brought her into the home, spent the night, just showed her great love and care. So much so the lady saying, why are you doing this? And the answer is because Jesus loves me. He loves you too. Thanks, Linda. Cindy Crawl and the, those of her team working. Cindy, where are you at? Anybody else on her team stand on up today? They work in tutoring among those who are immigrants, who have, um, on Tuesday nights, primarily Somalis, befriending, showing love to people who have come from other nations. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Cindy. Pastor Kurt, are you in here? There's Kurt back there. Kurt leads us each month to work in the ministry in love, word, and deed. Going down to the homeless. I know a lot of you have participated in that. If any of you are saying, well, I don't know where to start, Kurt will tell you where to start. We're down there every month. Anybody can hand out a sandwich. Anybody can give a hug. Anybody can shake a hand and show love and compassion to people who are in a tough place in life. That's within love, word, and deed. We have the ministry of Esther Holmes. Um, Emily, you here today? Where are you at? Emily and Laura, God bless you ladies. They live in this house right across the parking lot, helping women who may find themselves homeless or with an unplanned pregnancy, showing them the love and compassion of God. Bless you girls. Charlie and Karen Oglesby. They are people that have, they're leading the ministry in Rwanda to provide a home of love and safety for young women who would be in very difficult situation without a home to live in. How about the families of our church that have done foster care, brought in people many times from different races, brought them into their homes and their families. You see, God cares more about you embodying his character and his mercy and his compassion for those in need than he cares about you arguing over the finer points of theology. Now, have I just said that theology is unimportant? Not at all. It's a study of God. We need to continually, diligently study theology. 
but may it never be void of that which propels us to care for people in need. And it doesn't mean you got to move to some foreign country. It does mean you need to open your hearts, your homes, your wallets, your compassion to reach outside of your circle. May we be those that care for the broken, that give a hand to the downtrodden. May we be those who build bridges to those who are different from us. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, in their time of affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pure religion. And I return to Matthew 6, 8. He's shown you, O oh man, what is good, what the Lord loves, and this is what the Lord requires of you. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. May the kingdom of our Lord come on earth today through you as you embrace those different from yourselves. May you fight for justice for those who are less fortunate than you and me. And may you show mercy to those in need, whether near or far away. And may each and everything we do be done in humility of heart, not to show and impress others, but to joyfully express the character of God here in this world. Let's pray. God of all nations, I thank you for your mercy upon us. God, I thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your love for all people. And God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see people as you see them, as precious, as important, of great value, God. May you give us eyes to look past the superficial, physical appearances of others and see others as brothers and sisters. Make us part of the answer, Lord. Use us to extend your kingdom here on earth. In the name of Jesus, who died for all. Amen. Amen. Worship team, come forward, please. Or Bobby. Just. You know, as we close today, um, I want to just give another word about these life groups. The life groups of City Hill are not an add-on program. The life groups really express the core of who we are as a church. We speak of our code as a church, as community, outreach, discipleship, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's really in these life groups that our communities form. It's in these life groups that you get to know people, that you find people can pray for you, and you get emails and texts going around, and you build that community in our life groups. The life groups will also be involved in outreach. We'd like to get that even raised up to a new level where each life group is looking for ways that they can reach out to the world around them. 
And discipleship isn't really a Sunday morning thing, but it's a what happens in relationship with each other. As you pray together, as you work together, as you counsel each other, that happens in our life groups. And life groups are also a place where we can grow in the Holy Spirit. There may be words of, that God gives you in your life group that you may not feel the courage to share on a Sunday morning. There may not be the time for it. But life groups give those opportunities for us to minister in the love and power of the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you, please be a part of this community. Find a life group where you can tie into, where you can find family. Don't stay on the fringes. Amen? So we're going to take 10 minutes right now. You all stand up. Your kids are going to be cared for during this time. We've got people at the tables. If the life group people are head to the tables, give you a chance to walk around, check them out. A few of them got treats. Those are the good ones. Enjoy it. And Janet will be closing things in about 10 minutes. God bless you all as you build bridges in this world. Amen.